following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. So I'm hearing all of this like secondhand from other people, uh, kind of like wondering, well, shouldn't we be talking about the Bible during course seminar uh, rather than something like history of this area? I just thought I would address both of those things up front, and then uh, before we begin, one, and I'm not picking on Becca, I mean, I am, but, you know, we love them. Uh, I get it, not everybody enjoys history. That you are here probably means you do, so I appreciate that. But it really is fascinating, particularly since we live in this area, and, and, and I am very convinced, the more I have studied this over the last few years, that you... This area is so weird, it is so different, it is so unusual that without this understanding, you just continue operating in sort of a, a cultural fog, so to speak, of what little culture there is here in Hampton Roads around us. We just don't really get it, and we don't know what to do with it. So I get it. Maybe history isn't your most exciting subject uh, in school, but if you will listen tonight and if... I have done a good job putting this together, then I hope as you walk out, you will have a brand new appreciation for this place we call home. In relation to this concern that maybe uh, we're not talking about the Bible, so maybe that's not a good thing. Okay, I get it, but what is the purpose of this time together? It, it's not just to train you in the Bible, it's to train you to be ministers. And so often, most of the time, that will include instruction and doctrine and in practical uh, ministry kind of things, but in this case, we really thought that this was so valuable that in order for us to go out and be the kind of ministers of Jesus Christ that we need to be here in this area that's called Hampton Roads where God has placed us, that something like this would be immensely valuable. So I'm not teaching tonight for the purpose of you walking out of here with a bunch of facts. Like I'm not even going to teach in that manner. You kind of see where I'm going with this as we work forward here in a little bit. I'm really doing this with the goal that you will be a better minister of Jesus Christ, will better understand this place you call home as a result of this little bit of time together this evening. Okay, So that's kind of the, the reasoning behind this. And if you want um, to place blame on somebody, it actually came out of that conference we went to back in March or April, whenever that was. We were, uh, one day, a bunch of us went to lunch. They had these uh, sessions. It was actually really cool. They spread them out all around the, the downtown Austin area. So we would just go to restaurants that were all over the downtown area, and speakers would be there, and you knew where the speakers were going to be. And so you just ate lunch with whoever showed up and the speaker, and you just kind of had a conversation about whatever was on tap for that particular time. And so the guy I mentioned this morning who told the story about uh, the disciple who swam the shore, you know, that guy, Michael Frost, wanted to go hear him, and he was at this particular restaurant, and so we were talking. He's from Australia. And his entire talk during that lunch hour was really focused on being a part of your city, like really being a part of it, not just, you know, living there, but getting involved. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do you do that specifically as a minister of Jesus Christ and specifically with a view towards spreading the gospel to the city in which you live. And so we were walking back from that time, and uh, I think it was me and Jordan and Wes and Mike DeBolt, I forget who all was, was in that group, but we were walking back, and we got talking about how that applies to us here. 
And in that conversation, we're like, it just came, became apparent nobody even knows where we live. <laughs> like, they just don't. Like, no one knows, has any attachment to Virginia Beach or Chesapeake or Norfolk, unless you've lived here for a really long time or you've just really adopted it. The vast, vast majority of people, even within Cornerstone, have no real concept of the cities in which they live, much less an ability to then go out and serve it and care for it and really reach it in any kind of meaningful and knowing way. And so that's where this was birthed. We, we were talking about it even then that day, walking back from that lunch, how this would be a good and helpful thing to do. So uh, you can blame Michael Frost for that, uh, for why we're doing this. So I, I was trying to think, um, I'm a big believer, I love history, and I'm a big believer that history is never boring. There's only boring history teachers, okay? So my goal is not to be a boring history teacher tonight. I, in fact, I'm not even really trying to teach history. I'm trying to get across a, a larger view of this area. So I, I attempted to arrange my material in a way that I think will be best for us. If you're wondering, I have three pages which should worry you to death because that means the vast majority of what I want to say is here, which means I have no clue how long this is going to go. So if I, because I've read a lot and I have got a lot of stories in this noggin, uh, I will not be able to answer all of your questions, I'm sure, but I will do my best to talk through some things with you and just tell the stories that I have read and learned, people I have talked to along the way, and if we run out of time, oh well, we'll just stop and be done and I'll keep watching the time up here. If you have questions along the way, ask them, okay, because that's always the best stuff, particularly in history, that's the best kind of material when You've got a question, and we can talk about it, answer it as best we can, and we'll go from there. But I wanted to address, start off by addressing what is the problem that most of us are facing as we approach this area we call Hampton Roads. And I identified two things that I think are really problematic for us as a group of ministers. Number one is we're all pretty young. And because we're pretty young, we're pretty distracted by <laughs> everything around us. We're distracted by our lives, by our children, by uh, our homes, by all kinds of things. And because we're so distracted by all this stuff, we've never, many of us have never stopped to give any thought to the area that we call home. You maybe still even don't even call this area home. A lot of people don't, for good and obvious reasons, I understand. You may still think of home as here and there, North Carolina, Chicago, wherever you're from, okay? You've got all these other places that you have lived in the past, we're really young, we're really distracted, and so we don't think about this place that we live in. Number two, and you kind of picked up on this in number one, we're really transient. We've addressed that over and over again in this area. This whole region is really transient. Many of you are really transient. So you're not intending to stay here forever. And because you're not intending to stay here forever, you don't have any real reason or motivation to invest yourself in understanding where you're at right now. Look, I know we're young I know we're distracted, but this has value. And so I'm going to ask you tonight just to listen and, and hopefully see some of that value that, that's here. And look, I know we're transient, and I recognize that God may not keep all of us here forever. But as long as you're here, you might as well dig in. You might as well get to know it so that you can reach it as best you can. And I hope then wherever God takes you next, you would do the same thing there. Okay? Wherever you are, that's home. Whatever place God has placed you, that's your mission field. And so let's dig into this thing as best we can. Those are the problems that I saw as we came into this. And here's why all of this matters. It's not really about history, that we've been kind of plugging this as a night on Virginia Beach history. It's really, 
It's not just Virginia Beach, and it's not just history. What we're really interested in, in helping you do is to get to know, understand, and appreciate the place that God has called us to for as long as he has us here, because these kinds of details help us be better ministers here in our own backyards. If you will keep that as your focus, then I think we will do very well tonight. Now, here's how I have set this up. I have set this up as a trivia game, so to speak. So to speak, okay? Ten trivia questions that I specifically chose, mostly because they directly impact you and directly impact Cornerstone and, and the places we're ministering in, the neighborhoods we're trying to reach, the community groups that are out and about throughout this area. I may not hit every group. I may not hit every area here. And a couple of the trivia questions are just because I like them. They actually have nothing to do with Cornerstone whatsoever, okay? There's interesting stuff around the area, I think. And so I tried, though, to pick some things that I felt would lead into stories and conversations to help us really process uh, this area. So again, as you have uh, questions about any of them or thoughts, ask and we will talk about it. Number one, let's do trivia question number one. Who knows why the city of Virginia Beach is so big? Have you ever looked at a map and just seen how big it is? Okay, it's huge. Why? John? Okay, excellent. He knows the year exactly. You get a bonus point. 63. Who said that? Because I told Jordan before. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I should tell that to you real quick before I get going here. So I just had come back from that conference, right, and uh, was really just trying to think about how, how do, you know, Jamie and I were talking about how do we get involved in things, and I'll talk about this at the very end. And uh, we were just driving by the Princess Anne uh, Farmer's Market there at Damanek and, and Princess Anne and noticed there was like a fair or something going on. So we decided to stop. Just kids are in the car. We're like, hey, let's see what's going on. So we just pulled in, parked, get out. We're walking around, and we come to the section, and there's like a whole line of tables where members of the Virginia Beach Historical Society had set up displays. They were selling books. They had all kinds of stuff. They were out there talking to people. And I ended up getting into this conversation with this uh, man named Walt Whitehurst, who is a retired Methodist pastor. He's 81, and he is a Pungo native. He was actually, his family, uh, if you know where, you know, Pungo, downtown Pungo, you know where the 7-Eleven is? There's a house right next door to 7-Eleven. That's the property he was born on. He, he, he and his family have been there since like the 1600s. Like his family is really seriously that old and has been in that area uh, that long. And all of downtown Pungo, south of Indian River Road, was pretty much his father's farm before he began to sell it off to some of these businesses that now are there today. So Mr. Whitehurst and I exchanged phone numbers, email addresses, and for the last few months, he and I have been getting together and just chatting. Just kind of cool, little connection to God set up for us here. So we get together and we talk about local history. He's actually written four books on the history of Pungo. I bought them and he signed them for me. Uh, what's that? They're cool. I am a nerd. I, Chris mentioned geeking out this morning. I'm geeking out tonight, okay? They're cool. And so I asked him one day, hey, would you mind doing like a historical tour of Pungo? And you're like, why? What's in Pungo? There's actually quite a bit down there. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to. So we set it up, and it was me, Jamie, the kids, Jordan, and Miss Evelyn <laughs> with Mr. Whitehurst. We show up his, at his house. He's awesome, by the way. I love uh, spending time with him. 
He's awesome. We, we show up at his house. He asks us to come inside. He tells us to sit down around his living room. He and his wife, Betty, I think they've been married like 52 years, or I forget, a long time. Uh, he pulls out a ukulele. And I'm like, where is this going? He pulls out a ukulele, and he begins to sing us a song about Pungo. I never knew there was a song about Pungo, but there is a song about Pungo that somebody wrote, and so he, he played his ukulele, the two of them sang, and then he also sang us a song about Methodism. But that was another thing. Regardless, it was, it was a lot of fun. We, we went all over Pungo for about two hours, and we'd stop, pull off on the side of the road, and he'd tell us stories about the things that had happened here and there. And so, uh, yeah, Jordan has gotten a little bit of extra uh, uh, information along the way. So if he knows the answers, we won't count him in the quiz. So why is the city of Virginia Beach so big? There was a merger back in 1963 is the specific year between the county at that time known as Princess Anne, which is why Princess Anne Road is everywhere you go, right? Okay, it used to be through the middle of the county. Um, and what was at that time just the town of Virginia Beach. Now here's the real question. Why did they merge? Does anyone know why they merged? Take a guess. What you got? Caleb has an answer. Go for it then. Absolutely not. Nope. That was incorrect. <laughs> Sorry, I got nowhere to go for that one. That was not even close. Um, No sign book for you. So the state of Virginia has a weird uh, setup with its municipalities. If you are a city, okay, you are officially designated as a city, you are not part of whatever county you are in. Okay? You even see this on the weather map. If you look back to Richmond, you'll notice that Richmond is a circle that's right in the middle of a bunch of counties. That's, a, that's the city of Richmond. Where I'm from in North Carolina, the cities are still part of the county. So I was uh, raised in Goldsboro, North Carolina. That's the city, which is located in Wayne County. It is the county seat of that county. Virginia doesn't work like that. If you're a town or you're other kinds of municipalities, you can still be part of the county. But if you're a city, you're not part of a county. Because of that, if you're a city and you want to add to your city limits, you can annex any part of any county around you pretty much without the county being able to fight it. And that was what was happening back in the 40s, 50s, in the early 60s with the city of Norfolk. Norfolk, because it was a city, was biting off chunks of Princess Anne County. Neighborhoods, money, tax revenue, people, population. And the people who were leaders of Princess Anne County at the time didn't like it because, of course, they were losing money and population and tax revenue. Well, there's no way for the county to fight it. The county can't stop the city from annexing. The only thing a city can't annex from is another city. So a plan was hatched to merge the county of Princess Anne with, at that time, what was just the town of Virginia Beach, which was nothing. Okay? It, was it, was just, it was the boardwalk and maybe a couple streets in, maybe a couple thousand people, 3,000 people max at that point that were in the town of Virginia Beach to merge them all together and call it the city of Virginia Beach, which would, which would effectively cut Norfolk off from any further growth east. That's what was done in the 1960s. Uh, along those lines, I'll ask a second question. Who knows then why South Norfolk is part of Chesapeake and not Norfolk? 
What's that? Which county? <laughs> it was not a part of Norfolk. It was just a town, unfortunately for them, and it was in the county called Norfolk County. Okay, Way back in the 1600s when, when this area was first settled, everything that we currently think of as Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Norfolk, and I believe part of Suffolk was all called South Norfolk County. I don't know why it was called South Norfolk County because I don't ever think there was a North Norfolk County, at least not that I have read about, but it was called South Norfolk County. But I think in 1691, uh, the king divided South Norfolk County into two smaller sections, Princess Anne County and still South Norfolk County. Um, South Norfolk County was then Norfolk, what area today is Norfolk, and all of modern-day Chesapeake, and Princess Anne County was a little bit of modern-day Norfolk, <laughs> and all the way down to the North Carolina line, so it was pretty big. Uh, of course, that was being eaten away by Norfolk, that's when they merged. South Norfolk was having the same exact problem. Norfolk County didn't want Norfolk now cut off by the merger of Virginia Beach and Princess Anne County. They didn't want them to then start focusing south, so they decided to do the exact same thing that Princess Anne County had done. They merged, and they changed their name to Chesapeake, I think because they couldn't agree. I think they wanted to completely get away from any connection to Norfolk whatsoever. They want to be South Norfolk to Norfolk. They wanted something completely new, and so they picked the name Chesapeake, that also went through in the year 1963. So all of you in Chesapeake, you just uh, had your 50th anniversary. They made a big deal about it. Saw that in the news, maybe. That, that's why both of these cities are so big. Suffolk eventually did the same thing. A lot of the cities around, the counties around here did all those same things. And so what we end up with is this part of Virginia where there are no counties. And I remember telling my father-in-law that from, uh, he's from Chicago, and he was like completely confused by this concept. What do you mean there's no counties? No, they all merge. There's nothing. We have, you know, we have a sheriff, but the sheriff only works at the courthouse. That's his only jurisdiction. There's no sheriff, like, patrolling. That was weird, because I'm from North Carolina, where the sheriff's, like, king, right, you know? The police chief, there was a little, you know, there's a police precinct down in Goldsboro, but the majority of the county was patrolled by the sheriff. Uh, you don't see sheriff cars around here, and that's the reason why. He's only at the, they're only at the courthouse. So that's why these cities are like they are. Uh, question number three, who knows where the green line is and why it exists? This is a Virginia Beach question. Who knows where the green line is? Who even knows what the green line is to start with? One person raising their hand saying they know what the green line is. Can you define what it is? Okay. You are thinking of the South East Parkway and Greenbelt, Southeastern Parkway and Greenbelt, a plan that would be wonderful but will never, ever, ever, ever come to pass. That would be great. To 264 Alaskan Road. Imagine a south interstate attack bringing you from Hilltop all the way south down here, all the way back around to 168. It'd be a, 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 just the southern, yeah, it'd be a, like a semicircle, a half circle, bring you through the southern part of the city. <laughs> this would be a tolled interstate, is the plan that has been put out for years, um, and it cannot be agreed upon because the environmental impact studies that have been done have been all over the board. They've been talking about this for over 20 years. It has never happened. Excellent question. Greenbelt. Greenbelt. <laughs> 
Who knows what the green line is? It is. It does sound like a train. All right. So, when the county and the town of Virginia Beach merged, imagine what you had here in 1963. You had a really, really big, weird city that was mostly rural. <laughs> you had a rural city. Like the vast, vast, vast majority of the, the city limits were rural. Woods and farm and more woods. And a lot of the residents who were here at that time, who had been here for some length of time, and you'll appreciate this more in a few minutes when we talk about some of the population growth that has occurred here in the last, uh, well, 150 years, but particularly the last 50, they were concerned that development would just take over everything. And they didn't want that. They liked their rural life. And so a plan was adopted by the city council to establish what's called the Green Line. The Green Line was a, an imaginary line drawn across the city where south of that line, no development would be allowed. It would be agriculture, it would be rural, it would be hunting and fishing and horses and all that stuff. North of the Green Line, there would be a small transition area where moderate development would be allowed, and then north of the transition area, it would just be fair game, all development all day long. Now, knowing what the green line is, do you know where it is? Bingo. It is Indian River Road, and down there in the south. That is the green line. In fact, the city had to make, or the city required the residents of South Virginia Beach, South Pennsylvania County, to enter into an agreement with them that by establishing this green line, the city would never provide municipal water or sewage below Indian River Road. So if you live south of Indian River Road, you have no hope of ever having uh, city water or sewage. You're going to have a well, and you're going to have a septic tank. That's just what it is. That's one of the benefits, <laughs> that you get the benefit of knowing that you're not going to have a Walmart placed in any corner, anywhere near you. You lose out on the ability to get uh, an easily flushable toilet. So it's like, you know, it's just, but you don't have to pay the sewer fees, right. But... I grew up with a septic tank, and I remember what it smelled like when it backed up, and we had to have it dug up, so that I don't have good feelings about septic tanks in general. Um, this is your trade-off, okay? Now, so that's the green line. That's where it is. Where's the transition zone? This has actually been in the news very, very recently because of some controversies that have erupted. Excellent, excellent. It's somewhere north of Indian River. It's Sandbridge, yes, that part, Sandbridge, Princess Anne. So imagine if, uh, I didn't want to put up a lot of slides, I have a few for later that I think are, you'll like a lot, but uh, if you can picture a map of Virginia Beach, picture Indian River Road through Pungo as it heads west uh, out towards Chesapeake, and then picture where Princess Anne and North Landing Road run east-west, that area in between is considered the transition zone, and there's supposed to be moderate development in there. By moderate means it's going to, supposed to have a lot of open space, and the controversy that erupted recently was over uh, neighborhoods like Sherwood Lakes and Astle Park and some of the stuff that's being built off Seaboard Road because developers are getting around the open space requirement by putting in really big bodies of water, big, big retention ponds and calling that open space. And the residents, the residents south of the Green Line are complaining. There's, there's a lot here because the people south of the Green Line are like a whole nother, they're a whole nother people, okay? They're not, 
because people north of the Green Line, there's one type of people. People south of the Green Line, another type of people. Uh, a lot of these are older families that have been in the area for generations. I mean, we went, just as an interesting case in point, Mr. Whitehurst took us by a Charity Methodist Church, which is right off Charity Neck Road, where many of his family members are buried back generations. I mean, Jordan could attest to how many Whitehurst gravestones there were in the cemetery. And the names you saw there were Murden, Munden, Henley, Whitehurst. If you have any concept of anything that goes on down there, um, Flanagan, uh, um, uh, what's the other big uh, farm? Culifer. All of these families are buried <laughs> out here. They have been here forever. And they have a lot of power and a lot of pull in the city of Virginia Beach, and therefore uh, they were upset with some of the development that was happening in the transition zone. And this is an issue the city council is still trying to work through right now. But that green line affects a lot of what happens around here because basically developers are kind of out of land. So what are they going to go? Where are they going to go? Well, they're going to have to start tearing stuff down. They're going to have to start re which I'm all for. They can tear a lot of stuff down as far as I'm concerned in this area and rebuild it. Um, it's just going to affect a lot of the development and growth that we have going on here for years to come. And even the stuff that's going on in the transition zone, they're going to have to really hash through that because that is a prime area. That's like one of the only real open areas for development, but it's kind of controversial right at this point. And for us as a church, who we, we're right on the cusp of that area. We kind of need to be aware of what's happening down there. For those of us in community groups here on the southern end of the city, particularly, we need to be thinking about that because some of our neighbors are involved in some of these discussions. I'm a well, I'll save this for later. There's there is a lot of stuff that we should be aware of in relation to some of those components about the Green Line, why it exists. It exists because of the merger and the people who wanted the, the city to stay rural, and it will be a source of contention for years to come. All right, number four. Who knows what the population of Virginia Beach was after the Civil War and why that matters today? I didn't expect an answer on this one. Someone take a guess on what the population of modern-day Princess Anne County was in roughly 1860, 1865. 10,000? Uh, you were really close. It was about nine total. From North Carolina to the Chesapeake Bay and what is current modern day, there's like probably 9,000 people in my neighborhood. No, that's, not, that's, that's too many, but can you just imagine this area when there were only 9,000 people living in all of modern day Virginia Beach? This is after Civil War. And to understand why there were so few, just go back in your mind and think about this, this area. What was the center of commerce, politics, and culture in pre-Civil War Hampton Roads? Where? Where? A location. Not Williamsburg. Not Hampton. Norfolk. Yeah. Norfolk was the center of pretty much all of this region. All the big development, all the, the money, all the power was really, was really located there. That's why, at least when you go to Norfolk, you get some history. Like, how many times have you driven around Virginia Beach and thought, didn't the settlers land here first? And yet there's like nothing in terms of like historical stuff to go see? Well, the reason is, is because nothing happened here, really, to talk about. All the development, all the, the main focus of this region was really centered around downtown Norfolk. Why? 
because of the water, because it's the port. That's where commerce is going to come in and out of. And the few exceptions to that within Princess Anne County are based on what as well? Water. Okay? Water is going to be the number one determining factor of development in this area. For all of you who live in, in or near Kempsville, why is Kempsville so important to Princess Anne County and Virginia Beach history? What, what was its origin? Kemp's River, but it, that's not the beginning. It was a small community. Right there on whatever branch of the Elizabeth River that is. Known at that, or founded by a guy named George Kemp in I think uh, the year 16... 1652. The, the river was deep enough there that they could bring some of the bigger ships in to pick up tobacco and other crops that were being grown at that time. And so at one point in Kempsville, it had rows of warehouses lining the waterways where farmers, and think about how hard transportation was back then, farmers were doing all they could to get their crops all the way to Kempsville from like down here, somewhere in the south area where we think of as Creeds and Blackwater and all those areas today. They're getting their crops all the way up there and from there, they're being put on ships and sailed up as far as New York City if the produce would survive long enough. So Kempsville became a major trading location here in the very, very early days of settlement within what we think of today as Princess Anne County. In fact, Kempsville became such an important area at the time that the city, uh, uh, the courthouse, the, the municipal center, you could call that at that time, was at one point located in Kempsville because it was basically the only real center of commerce that existed at all in Princess Anne County in the 1600s. I'll tell you about a couple of others, or one other main one that will uh, be interesting to you in a few minutes. But, but this, is, this is why Princess Anne County just doesn't become anything. There's very little here. It's mainly farms. It's mainly farmers making produce to take to Norfolk, to take to Kempsville, to ship north. They're pro providing produce for Washington, for Richmond, for Baltimore. And if the produce would make it as far as New York, they would take it to New York. Uh, this was a nothing area, just farmhouses mainly. And that's why there were so few people here, because you've got big farms with small families that are farming all this land. And by the time the Civil War comes in the, 16, or in the uh, 1800s, 1860s, there's not even really much for the unions or the Confederate soldiers to even fight about here. I mean, there's a few little skirmishes around the area, and Union troops did come through Princess Anne County and burn all the bridges and destroy all the roads just to make it hard for produce to get to market. That was really their only... There was no other real value to what they did apart from just making it hard to feed troops. But that was really all we had. So by the time the Civil War ends, you've got about 9,000 people left in the county. There's nothing really going on here. Now let's fast forward all the way to 1940 and the population is going to skyrocket. What do you think the population is of this area by the 1940s? 1940 census, Princess Anne County. Take a big guess. 250,000, what's that? 40,000, it's huge, it's a big jump, you ready? It goes from 9,000 all the way to 15,000 people. In a grand total of 80 years, it, only 6,000 more people live here in 1940. I was just looking at the census records actually this afternoon uh, on that. It's still nothing here. 
As late as 1940, nothing is going on in Princess Anne County. It's still farmland, mainly. There's a little bit of a tourist industry that is built up around what we think of today as the oceanfront. It had started to develop a, a, a train line had been put in from Norfolk all the way out to Virginia Beach. I mean, that was considered like a, a day's journey back then. It was hard to get there. There, wasn't good, there weren't good roads. Shocking. Very little has changed in the history of the area. Uh, when, when Virginia Beach Boulevard opened, my goodness, that was like revolutionary. That was huge. It was called the Virginia Beach Norfolk uh, Turnpike. That might be right. I don't remember. It has a name. Like Sometimes you'll see when you read these older uh, books, they'll talk about this. It was like, that was revolutionary to the region, but prior to, to Virginia Beach Boulevard being built, uh, you could only get to the beach by a train, and that didn't come until sometime, I think, in the later 1800s. So, I, I mean, there was just nothing out here. Kim still had a little bit. There was a little bit up around uh, the Lynn Haven River area, and that was about about it. So that's 1940, 15,000 people. Now let's go to 1960. 20 years passed. Now what's the population of Princess Anne County? 50? 90. So from 15,000 to 90,000 in 20 years, what changed from 1940 to 1960? The military, World War II. So World War II begins and the Navy comes in, or the Department of Defense, and they open how many airfields in Hampton Roads? Three? Nope. Four, exactly. <laughs> You've got what we think of today as Oceana Naval Air Station, and they opened Centris at the same time. They also opened a Pungo Airfield and a Creeds Airfield. You can still go on the old Pungo Airfield today. If you ever go down to the Strawberry Festival, they park cars on it, that big stretch of concrete. I think the police use it for some stuff, too, don't they? they like to go down and do some driving courses or something. That's one in Creeds they use. Okay. Okay, I knew it was one of them was used. You can still go see those two other airfields that were eventually closed down when everything was consolidated into Oceana. After World War II, the military comes in here in force, and the population just begins to explode. So in, from 1940, we have 15,000. 1960, we have 90,000. 20 more years past 1980. Now we have 260,000. Another 20 years past 2000, now we have 425,000. Another 14 years have passed. Today, we're about 450,000 people. So just think about that. Today, we're about 450,000 people in this town we call Virginia Beach, but in 1940, we were 15,000. 70 years, is that 74? Years have passed, and we have gone up by 435,000 people. What do you think the impact of such rapid population growth have been on our region? Okay. This is, this is not a joke. I have both of those here. I seriously do. I, and my first point was haphazard, cheap development. Because that's true. I mean, you look around this area, and what do you see? Neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood of cheaply built cookie-cutter homes, right? Because the population is growing so quickly that developers are coming in, and they're just building, and nobody's really caring, I don't think. They just need to get homes for all the people who are moving into the area, and people are making money hand over fist back then. I, I don't want to hazard a guess as to how much of the current um, wealthy population of Virginia Beach 
became wealthy during the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, but I would hazard a guess that it was probably a good, good bit. People were making money hand over fist, taking farmland. My, my yard to this day, if we get a lot of rain for a long time, I can still smell pigs. I swear I can. Because <laughs> our, our, our house was built on a pig farm. I know that for a fact. I've talked to some people who knew the area. I even show you a picture of it later. Um, it, it, it's just crazy to think how quickly this area boomed. And so it did affect the overall look of this area. We're an area of strip malls and, and cookie-cutter neighborhoods instead of anything like really nice being built like in the vast, vast majority of the area. Not only that, Matt mentioned it, horrible transportation. Uh, there was a joke in the Virginia pilot years ago. It was a bunch of men who were drunk, and you can see like the bottles all around, and they've got a, a piece of paper on a table, and there's like squiggly, squiggly lines all over, and they're all like, got crayons in their hands, and at the bottom it said Hampton Roads Transportation Commission. Um, <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. They weren't, I don't know. Well, they might have been drunk. I don't know, but they, it's not so much a, 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 an effect, I think, of poor planning as it just came so fast, like... You go from 15,000 people to 450,000 people in 70 years, and road systems and infrastructure was not built to handle it. It just wasn't. And we get to feel the wonderful effects of that every single day that we drive around. Um, that's all directly tied to the military. That's directly tied to, to uh, the war and all the stuff that came after that because this area had previously been pretty rural. Any questions about any of that? Yeah. Princess Anne County? <clears throat> well, I, I can't answer that question 100% because I don't know it. Um, I can tell you, though, from what little I've read, so one of the big names that was involved in the merger process was Floyd Kellum. We know him because he's got a high school named after him. There's roads and other things. He was a big-time mover-shaker, in both in business and in local politics, and he wanted nothing to do with Norfolk. Now, I don't know why. He wanted the residents and money and power to stay within Princess Anne County, which was where his home was, and all of his interests were. And so he was one of the biggest proponents of Princess Anne County's merger. Now, what I know less about even than that is the South Norfolk Norfolk County merger that formed Chesapeake. And I'll, I'll just throw this out for some of you who live in that region, whether it's Chesapeake or Norfolk. The person you should go talk to and you should take her out for lunch and just like ask her a thousand questions, she'll love it, is Miss Evelyn. Because Miss Evelyn was living in South Norfolk in the 1940s. She remembers South Norfolk in its heyday when, when the intersection of Chesapeake and Park was like the happen in place and it was like really nice and everything in there was beautiful. And she, and I'll even talk about this in a minute, um, just because she told me some fascinating stories. Just like I sat down with her for an hour and just asked her questions. and I like changed, It revolutionized my understanding of South Norfolk, actually of Chesapeake as a whole, just from an hour's conversation with her. Um, there's some bad blood that existed internally within Chesapeake. I'll talk about this in a minute, so I'll just say it as a teaser, uh, that ex existed internally within Chesapeake, the newly founded Chesapeake, but also that would ex existed between the newly founded Chesapeake and Norfolk, but I don't know what all that bad blood was. Probably came back to money. That's normally, that, that's normally the case. Follow the money, and that normally will tell you the answers to all those things. What's that? <laughs> they sung the monitor. What's that? 
They call it the county. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There's a lot of money and power south of that green line. I'll just throw that. I mean, I don't know the extent of that. I just know that's true. There's a lot of money and power south of that green line, and it has a lot of influence, a lot of influence on the, on the city council's planning. You're going to ask a question or say something? Right. You're in the transition zone. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Right. There is one other little quirky, and I don't understand it fully, but a quirky little law that does come into effect here. Basically, if I understand uh, this correctly, Virginia has something built into its constitution, its law, statute somewhere, that if you privately own land, no municipality can stop you from developing it. Now, I, there, there's got to be some exception to that, something I don't fully understand, but there could be some of that that goes on south of the Green Line where someone who's owned a farmland, he's like, I just want to build a neighborhood, you can't stop me. But in terms of the city coming in and like doing things, giving approval, I don't know that they, they're not supposed to. There will always be exceptions because of politics. And you scratch the right back and don't worry, things always get done. Yeah. You asking this because of problems you and Jen are having, or? No. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I don't know about the zoning, why they choose certain areas and why they don't. That's a good question. Who knows? Mm -hmm. There you go. You open one. You can be the uh, entrepreneur who gets going there. Anyone who wants to partner with Danny, let him know. Yeah, the Wilkin. <laughs> as long as I can be one of the valet. That's all I really care about. I want to wear the little hat. And, you know, that's the way to go. Jessica?
there, the city, I just read about it this afternoon again. This is, they just passed their goal, I think, of 9,700 acres that they were looking to acquire via this program. I don't, I don't remember the specifics of how it works. I didn't think it was you giving it to them. I thought it was you signing an agreement with the city that you would not develop the land. Because, again, I think you have that quirky law in Virginia that says you still can develop it if you own it. But if you agree, then they, do, they I think maybe it's the tax credit or something that they do for you, and now you have given up your right to develop that land that you would have otherwise had. And they just crossed the 9,700-acre threshold down there. And I do think a lot of the farms benefit from that because they're just like, we're going to keep farming anyway, so we'll sign it. But, yes, you are exactly right. I know what you're referring to, and it has a name, and I can't remember the name of it, though I just read it this afternoon. Just read it this afternoon. Did you raise your hand? That, that's what she's referring to, and uh, that is a, a, an active city program. They are still actively trying to get more and more people to sign up for that. It was, again, I just read it on the city website today. All right, I'm going to move on for time's sake here. And feel free, I'm not going to stop for a break because i got a lot, and if you just want to get up and get coffee, you need to go to the bathroom and just do it. I trust you. Uh, number five. Number five. Oh, okay, here we, get to, uh, here we get to the thing I was thinking with Carmen and her question. Who knows why Great Bridge became the governmental seat of Chesapeake? So, you know, where, where is the uh, Chesapeake City Hall? Cedar Road, in the middle of neighborhoods, which is weird. But why is it there? What's that? Because of the lock? No. Nope. <laughs> That works for Virginia Beach. That's the reason the Virginia Beach Municipal Center is where it is today. The Virginia Beach Courthouse has actually moved, I think, five times in its history. The last move was to its current location. It was put way down in the middle of nowhere because that was the geographical center of the county at the time. Well, it's still the geographical center of the city. Uh, and they had land there, so they put it there. Uh, and everybody probably cursed them to death for having to like go way out of their way to go find that thing when it was first built. But now the city has kind of caught up to it. But that is not the reason for Chesapeake. Miss Evelyn told me this story, and this was really, really, really interesting, and kind of ties in to some of the things that have happened to South Norfolk over the last 50 years as well. So she told the story that in the 40s and 50s, South Norfolk was the happening place, right? It's, the, it's beautiful, gorgeous. I mean, you still drive through there, and you see beautiful homes that have, a lot of them have fallen into disrepair. But they're beautiful homes. Uh, it was a wonderful community. But somewhere in the 50s, I think the late 50s, Great Bridge became the Edinburgh. Is that right? Is that the community down in South Chesapeake that's kind of nice, like new? Great Bridge became the Edinburgh of its day. So people with money were trying to move down to Great Bridge. And people who wanted to appear to have money, as Miss Evelyn said, <laughs> were also trying to move down to Great Bridge. It, was, it became almost like a, um, a social divide. So you had power brokers, money people who were going down to Chesapeake. They were leaving South Norfolk to go down into that part of Norfolk County. Others were staying put, and some bad blood developed between these two communities. The people of South Norfolk became, 
began to not really care for the people of Great Bridge. The people of Great Bridge didn't really care for the people of South Norfolk. But as the danger of Norfolk's encroachment was kind of building, they sort of linked arms begrudgingly to incorporate the entire county as the city of Chesapeake. Once they had done that, or in the process of doing that, though, they had a little bit of a problem. Where would the city center be? Where would be the, the city courthouse, all the city offices, the, the public school offices, the superintendent, where would he be? All the, She was a, a, a public school librarian, so she was more aware of the public school side that was going on, but she knew about the other stuff as well. Well, <clears throat> Great Bridge won. The reason they put that, uh, she calls it the Taj Mahal, the Chesapeake City Hall, in the middle of a neighborhood was because that was the place where all the power brokers were living at the time. And they wanted it there. So they built it there, even though there was really nothing else around it but neighborhoods. It really is kind of an odd placement if you think about overall uh, area of Chesapeake. So as now the new Chesapeake is really beginning to take shape, you've got this bad blood that's existed between South Norfolk and Great Bridge for all this time. The now new city council of this new Chesapeake is now in control of where money and development goes. Where do you think it isn't going to go? South Norfolk. They're going to begin to systematically cut South Norfolk off, <laughs> in spite, probably, as they look to develop this new city that they're going to call Chesapeake, and so development goes uh, east into Greenbrier and you know, up in the battlefield area, all that stuff. It goes south. It, it, it doesn't go north. In fact, as the interstate is kind of the dividing line between these areas, basically anything north of the interstate was effectively abandoned by this new city that had been formed, and then more and more people began to move out. South Norfolk fell into greater and greater disrepair, and it's only been in the last 10 years that there's been any real effort on the part of the city to go back in there and revitalize that thing. It wasn't, a, it wasn't accidental that it fell into disrepair. It, there's a story there. Like There's a reason South Norfolk looks like what it looks like today. It's because the people of Great Bridge who got control of this new city didn't really care for it. That's kind of interesting. If you live in that area, you begin to understand a little better some of those things that were going on up there. Uh, number six, this is just a purely uh, interesting one. This doesn't have any impact on us as a ministry or even thinking about our area. Are you familiar with Eastern Shore Chapel on Laskin Road? No? There's a church called Eastern Shore Chapel on Laskin Road. Why is it called Eastern Shore Chapel? Because it got lost? Because where's the Eastern Shore? Wrong question. Right question. Eastern shore of what? Eastern shore of the Lynn Haven River system was why it got the name Eastern Shore Chapel, because in the early 1600s, as, Angl as the Anglican church was trying to expand into its new parishes that it was dividing up and building throughout the area, they eventually wanted to, to establish a new, uh, a new chapel way out in the boondocks near Laskin Road today, okay? And so they established one out there called Eastern Shore Chapel. It, it, I throw that out there only because it was interesting as we went around with Mr. Whitehurst, just thinking about the religious history of this area, being Virginia, everyone in Virginia was in the beginning forced to be what religion? Anglican, right? Because Church of England, British colony, so they were all forced to be Anglican. In time, after the uh, Revolution, Anglican Church became the Episcopal Church, but other churches and uh, denominations began to move into the area. If you live in 
the southern half of Princess Anne County, you will notice a preponderance of Methodist churches. I mean, they are everywhere. We drove around and saw how many, Jordan? Three? Four? And they're all old. Like, 17 this, 18 that. They're, all, they're not like church plants, okay? They are all old. Methodism made huge inroads into rural Princess Anne County back in the 1700s, and it has a huge influence today. It has such a huge influence that Jordan and I were talking and thought, man, if Cornerstone ever wanted to, to get into Pungo, that would be a... That'd be a tough nut to crack, because that, that, I mean, the families that have power, uh, that have a say, that have influence, they all go to the same churches, and they have for generations. You would have a really interesting time trying to reach the Pungo area. Baptists were also in the area very early. Um, just a couple of quick little, this is back to Methodism. So right over here by us is Nemo, United Methodist Church. I think the second oldest Methodist church in Hampton Roads, I think the oldest is Charity Methodist by like two years, I think it beats it. But, um, <clears throat> so it got its name from the family that donated the land for the church to build on, the Nemo family. The slaves of the farmers obviously couldn't worship with them, and so they were given a little piece of land just down Princess Anne Road in what is today, um, is it, I, now I forgot the name of it, Mount Olive African Methodist Episcopal, I think it is, uh, right down the street. Uh, here on Princess Anne Road, you, you see a brick building with a cemetery next to it. That started as a slave church. Now, that building, of course, is not the original. I think it's gone through about three buildings. I think the first couple burned down or fell apart or something. They kept rebuilding in the same spot. But that little congregation there has a history going way back into pre-Civil War times. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, the Baptists, back to them, there's a couple Baptist churches in the area that are really old. St. John's Baptist, which is there on Holland Road, South Holland Road, is one of the oldest Baptist congregations in the area, and they even, they even have like an outline of the original location of their building on their property, 1700, something like that. So there's an there's a interesting religious history here, but you'll see that Anglican influence, that Episcopal influence being very strong, particularly in the north part of the city. You'll see the Methodist and Baptist influence being stronger in the south part of the city, and that's kind of the reason why. Number seven. <clears throat> I think you should go to get this one now. Who knows why Virginia Beach looks nothing like Williamsburg, even though both have been inhabited for about the same amount of time? I kind of answered this one earlier. Why don't they look anything alike? You go to Williamsburg and there's like history and culture, and you come here and there's not. Why? It was fun. Yeah. I got ahead of myself on that one. Uh, number eight. Who knows what the term roads or the word roads is referring to in the term Hampton Roads? Okay, waterways, right? So, Hampton Roads is referring to all the waterways, the rivers, the little streams and stuff, were the primary means of transportation throughout the area, and much of the development that occurred in those early years, even as late as like Civil War times and a little after, is built around all those waterways. So that's why you see, if there are old homes in the area, who, who's ever been to the Adam Thurgood house? Okay, where is it at? It's near water, right? It's, it's up there near the Lenhaven River system, the Lenhaven Inlet. Um, the Keeling House, all those places, all those uh, homes are up in that area for a specific reason. Number nine, who knows, this is one that's just purely interesting, who knows what the Lesnar Bridge and Willoughby Spit have in common? Who, knows what, who even knows where the Lesnar Bridge is? Door Drive going over what? Lenhaven Inlet, okay. 
What does, what does the Lesnar Bridge and Willoughby Spit have in common? Yeah, they're both there because of hurricanes. Not that the hurricane blew the Lesnar Bridge there, but it's awesome. The blind watchmaker. Um, only like three people get that joke. So it's interesting to read accounts of the topography of the area when the first settlers were sort of surveying the area. What you think of today as the Lynn Haven Inlet did not exist when the Jamestown settlers made landing at First Landing State Park. It wasn't there at all. In fact, it wasn't there for probably another almost 100 years. There was nothing there but a beach that you walked across. And what you think of today as the Lynn Haven River was just a freshwater system back just south of the bay. But in the early 1700s, no one knows the exact date. Adam Keeling and some of the residents of that part of the Lynn Haven River area decided that they wanted to be able to take a canoe from that freshwater lake out into the bay. Transportation is all based on water, right? So that should be easier. So they dug a little drainage ditch, like this big, big enough for a canoe, no bigger, <laughs> through the beach there at what you today think of as Lynn Haven Inlet. And that lasted for I don't know how many years until one year a hurricane came in and washed so much water through it that it took away a whole bunch of the sand and turned a ditch into a channel. And then people were like, oh, that's kind of nice. There's, you get a boat through here now. So they kept digging it out. And over the years, it just kept being expanded. Hurricanes have come, filled it in, opened it up. It just Now we purposely dredge it. But the Lynn Haven Inlet never existed when the settlers first arrived in the early 1600s wasn't there. Uh, that didn't come until about 100 years later. And it's interesting to think how the hurricane is the one that really made that. Same with Willoughby Spit. So who knows the story of Willoughby Spit? Nobody. Oh my goodness. 1690s, or 1660s, excuse me. <clears throat> the Willoughby family, and I forget the guy's first name, had been granted land by the king that would encompass all of what you think of today as the Ocean View area. All of this land was given to the Willoughby family. They had a farmhouse very near the water, and we think the year might have been 1667, when something called the Harry Kane, <laughs> not a hurricane, the Harry Kane came through. That's how it was written, I believe, or recorded in uh, the history books back then. Huge storm. We don't know it's exactly the same storm, but it probably is. Came through. They go to bed that evening. They're looking at water out their window or door or whatever they're looking out of at the time. They wake up in the morning, and there's no more water. There is a piece of land going way out into the, what was, ocean. Willoughby Spit had been formed by the hurricane coming through and washing all the sand together on top of it. And so the Willoughby family then almost immediately applies for a grant to the king to get, uh, make sure that land is considered their land, too. They didn't want to have someone else come in and claim it because it was attached directly to their land, and thus what we think of today as Willoughby Spit was born. Which every time I drive past that, and I think, you, I look at the people who are living on it, I'm like, your house is built on land formed by a hurricane. It can be taken away by a hurricane. Why would you want to live here? But uh, the city, of course, has put a lot of money, Norfolk has put a lot of money into preserving that. So both of these events are tied to the weather, and, and I only point that out to indicate, and we get this, right? We, we were, for anyone who was here during Isabel, you know how weather affects us to this day. Uh, there were two other inlets that were either created or taken away by hurricanes that are interesting. One 
is Rudy Inlet was not here either, originally. The original maps that were drawn, the settlers who came through there, there was no Rudy Inlet. It was opened up at some point by a storm, I don't know when, and there used to be an inlet at Back Bay that took you out to the, to the ocean, but it got filled in by a hurricane and has been filled in all these years since then. And now that water is still brackish, though, from its former time as being an inlet out to the ocean. So the, water, the, the, the weather has a big impact on us. Any questions about any of that? My last question is the longest, biggest, so I'm going to give you a chance before I go any further. Is this helpful, interesting at all? Okay. You're geeking out. That's right. Okay, so number 10 is actually not just one question. It's kind of like a whole bunch of questions, but I thought they were uh, interesting. It's, who knows how the following streets or areas got their names, okay? And here I did try to pick some things that I felt would be particularly helpful for us as we think about the areas in which God has placed us. So let's start with Oceana Boulevard. Who knows how Oceana Boulevard got its name? <laughs> you can't answer then. Anybody else? What's that? Okay, how did the base get its name? Because it, it didn't take its name from the base, but they both took their name from the same thing. All right, Seth, you want to give it? Okay. So, have you ever driven down Oceana Boulevard and you're up there by the runway and you look off to the right and there's a big parking lot where they, a lot of times they keep school buses? You know what that parking lot is? It's all that is left of Oceana High School. There used to be a building right off of that. Uh, in fact, Mr. Whitehurst graduated from Oceana High School in 1951. They closed the school down in 1953 when Princess Anne High School was opened. And that was the last high school that was ever going to be needed in Princess Anne County. He remembers that still, that that's what was being told to all the parents and the taxpayers at the time. Never again will we need to build another high school. We now have, what, 11 high schools, I think, in Princess or Virginia Beach. But uh, So they closed down Oceana High School in 1953, but, and then tore the building down. That parking lot is all that remains. The reason that high school was there is that entire area used to be a community very similar to what you see now in Pungo. If you can imagine, if you ever go to, uh, to Oceana Boulevard and Virginia Beach Boulevard, if you're you know, coming from the south heading north, hang a right on Virginia Beach Boulevard and just drive down and look right and left. And you'll notice that not all the houses fit. Some of them are clearly old. Some of them are actually unique. A lot of them are actually pretty cool. They're surrounded by some homes that were built later and that don't look so nice and aren't in such great shape. And that whole area could really use a, a facelift. That used to be its own little community. It was started in the 1890s by some businessmen in Norfolk who wanted to establish a new neighborhood out, not quite at the beach, but near the beach. They bought 200 acres of land to develop into what at that time was a town called Tunis. But when they wanted to put a post office there, there was already a Tunis post office in some other town in Virginia called Tunis, T-U-N-I-S. And so they changed its name to Oceana. This is 1890-something. And so the town of Oceana, the village, the neighborhood, the development of Oceana was born and was a thriving neighborhood, village, community, whatever you want to call it, up until the 1950s when they closed the school and the city was merging and stuff was happening and it began to just fade away. And now as you drive down there, there's very little of it left to even really see. But that was its own, own little community and it's kind of cool now to go through it and see what was sad. It's kind of cool and sad to go see what's happened to it since then. Um, Witch Duck Road. How did Witch Duck Road get its name? You guys know that one? Go ahead. Ducked, right. So who's the witch that was ducked? And her name is? 
Grace, Grace Sherwood with Topungo. So if anyone ever wants to go with me on a little uh, archaeological adventure into the woods, Mr. Whitehurst took us to the land that was owned by the Sherwood family, and he says that back in the woods are the original fireplaces of the house that she lived in. This is like 1600s. They're still standing there. The home was burned down. The home was standing even when he was a child, but it subsequently burned down under kind of suspicious circumstances, but he's been told that the two fireplaces are still there. So I kind of want to like go, what's that? Uh, off Muddy Creek Road, I think. No, 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 yeah, off Muddy Creek Road, on the north side of Muddy Creek Road, way back in the woods. We couldn't see it that day. It was too overgrown. It was like fall time or winter? Was it in the fall or winter when like the vegetation was cut back a little bit? or Was it? Okay. I want to go down there now, since you told me. I just want to go see it. Just walk in there and find it and... So, so here's the story of Grace Sherwood, the Witch of Pungo. Grace was, um, by modern accounts, a very beautiful woman. Don't have a picture, so we can't verify that. But the belief is, is that she had made a number of the men around her sort of uh, infatuated with her, and the wives were none too pleased with that. This is at the same time that the Salem witch trials are going on up in Massachusetts. And so since witchcraft is like, you know, the uh, viral trend of the day, they decide to accuse her of being a witch. So all of us who are Monty Python fans are like, Banner, Banner! Uh, <laughs> what do you do with a witch? <laughs> Just throw in water. Um, anyway, that's what they do, right? They're going to do a ducking, where they're going to take her and put her in water and whatever is supposed to happen, it happens. That happens up in where? Where, where is she ducked? in the Linhaven River. Why is she ducked in the Linhaven River? Why not be ducked somewhere closer to her house? Nope. That's not the actual reason. It was more pragmatic. It's where the church was. Like, the building was located there for the Anglican church. That, that <laughs> they're just doing it close to their building where the trial's held. So there's a place there on the Linhaven River It's called Witch Duck Point that is supposed to be the spot where it actually occurred. The road is therefore named after her. She's found innocent, I think, of being a witch, but never really accepted back into the community after that. Um, I don't think it made her less pretty. <laughs> She's got a wart. <laughs> they put this on me. What's that? I thought, I don't remember now. But she, did, she was not put to death. She went on and lived. That might be correct. I may have forgotten how that story ended. I just stopped at the, that's my part. <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, Witch Duck Row got its name from Grace Sherwood and her ducking there. The most, probably the most infamous trial in Princess Anne history. Uh, Kempsville, we've already talked about. George Kemp in 1652. Uh, I can't picture this, but they, there are stories, reports of tall ships in Kempsville on the river there. Can you imagine that? Like, I can't really see that today. And actually, this is pretty interesting. Um, up until the last, I think, Five years, they had never found any remains of any of the original Kempsville buildings, but they were doing that big road project that was going through that area, and they found what they think was the foundation of one of the original warehouses that was in that area at the time. Uh, so that was like a big deal a few years ago. It was in the pilot. They were making a, wrote a lot of stories about it. It was really interesting to see what they were finding there. I won't talk about Kempsville anymore. Let's talk about Newtown Road. Why is Newtown Road named Newtown Road? 
You're good. You are good. Yeah, so, so 1652, George Kemp uh, opens what is, will become Kempsville as a trading and economic center in Princess Anne County. In 1697, a guy named Edward Mosley Sr. wants to do the same thing a little further north of there. And so he buys a bunch of land, and he goes in, and he builds his own little new town. And the road that took you from Kempsville to Newtown was called Newtown Road uh, to get you there. Of course, unfortunately, Newtown did not do so well, and the area never recovered. It just, it's never recovered, really. That, that area has never developed and grown in any way that has been economically beneficial to either Norfolk or Virginia Beach, and it kind of has its origins all the way back into the 1600s. Not that that's directly connected. It's just interesting that it never became anything. Um, Hilltop. Why is Hilltop? It's the top of a hill. It's actually top of a very special hill. Do you know the, the name of the larger hill that it's actually a part of? Do you have ever looked at... What's that? <laughs> it dips for a little bit, but comes back up right there. If you've ever looked at a topographical map of the area, which I know you haven't, you would see this. <laughs> it's called the Pungo Ridge. The Pungo Ridge is a ridge of land that starts at Hilltop and heads all the way south down through Pungo. In fact, Mr. Whitehurst was mentioning that some of the land that they are, they're on, uh, that his family owned, was on the Pungo Ridge, and there is no memory in their family going back forever of that land ever flooding in any hurricane or anything else. It was an area of just raised elevation just off the coast, inland from the coast a couple miles, and it runs the entire length almost of Virginia Beach. Hilltop is at the north end of the Pungo Ridge and became a, a center of development and growth uh, later on in years to come. Uh, what about Pungo? Keep talking about Pungo. Where did Pungo get its name? Family? No? Well, mostly no, but kind of yeah. Indians. Mashapongo. The Mashapango Indians uh, were in that area. I believe even on the eastern shore today there's a city called Mashapango uh, that also got their name from there. But at some point, I guess we quit calling it Mashapango and just started calling it Pungo because we're lazy. Like, I don't know why we, we did that, but it became Pungo because of that. Uh, here's an interesting one, Town Center. Not quite what you're thinking uh, in terms of history. Why has uh, Town Center been called Town Center? <laughs> hey, where's our downtown? Where was it before Town Center? We didn't have it. <laughs> Why don't we have a downtown area? What city doesn't have a downtown? I've never lived in a city that didn't have a downtown. Because it was a county. There was no town here to be down in. <laughs> There's no downtown. Like when Jamie and I are back in Chicago, you know, this is a, an area of suburbs, right? So you've got the, the city proper, and then you've got like a million suburbs around it, and each little suburb has its own little downtown area. The shops, it's by the river, it's by the train tracks, it's by this, it's by that, but they all have these little downtowns, and ever since we've lived here, we've been like, why? Why doesn't this area have anything like it? Because those are so cool. Love going to those places. Well, this is why, because there was nothing here to be down with. <laughs> so there was no downtown. So, so as, as this is recent history, 
as the movers and shakers of, of Virginia Beach wanted to see more development occur within our city, they realized that if they're going to compete with Norfolk, who is uh, prior to Town Center, the only downtown area around, they had to build a downtown. So they took a bunch of wooded land. Who was I just talking to? Was it you, Seth? Saying you, some of your neighbors remember when it was just woods over there? Yeah. So they just found some prime real estate near the interstate there and, poof, you know, yeah, just seeding the ground, pour some water on it, poof, there they are. I keep those. They started. Well, no, but it also wasn't developed in any way. Mm -hmm. Right. Taco Bell is still there. I don't know why Taco Bell is still there. I just keep looking, and that's like prime real estate. Tear that thing down and put a nicer building on it. This Like up, like you were saying that day. He's going around with his walker. Think about this from the city of Virginia Beach's standpoint. What does the city want? They want more tax revenue, more population growth, more development. They saw Town Center as being one of those necessary things that would have to be put in in our area in order to really begin to attract that. And it has worked up to this point. It has worked well, and the area continues to grow. In fact, is Phase 5 done does anyone know? I think it's supposed to be done this summer, but I just didn't know if it was complete. That new building that just went in, it's almost done. I mean, they've got, all of you should do this, if you're, particularly if you're a Virginia Beach resident. You should go to vbgov.com and look at their strategic growth areas. They've got, I think, nine strategic growth areas listed on the city website, um, and they show you the plans that they have for these nine particular areas. Totally rap, total rabbit trail for a minute. One of those nine areas, interesting, is Burton Station. Burton Station is a little piece of land up by Lake Wright Golf Course, uh, Golf Course, Wesleyan Drive, Northampton Boulevard, that area. Did you realize that is, what's that? Uh, well, <laughs> yes, maybe. Yes, there will be. There's a big fight right now between Norfolk Council and Virginia Beach Council about a whole bunch of stuff. They're just spatting. I think Virginia Beach is jealous that Norfolk's getting them all. Personal opinion. So then I wanted to play nice. Regardless, the area just east of that is Burton Station. It gets its name, I forget uh, where the name Burton, I think it was a family name. That was a predominantly historically African-American part of Virginia Beach, and it is the only section in North Virginia Beach that does not have city water and sewer to this day. Uh, some, no, this is uh, over further. In fact, if you are on Northampton, so if you were going north on Diamond Springs, you took a left on Northampton Boulevard. You know where the Krispy Kreme is over there on Northampton? Of course, I know where the Krispy Kreme is on Northampton. My brother-in-law lives over there. That's why I know where the Krispy Kreme is, just for my own defense. If you turn there, I believe that is Burton Station Road, and you drive back through there, you will see some older homes, some larger tracts of land right there just next to the airport. Those homes have no city water and sewer. They haven't had it in the entire history of Virginia Beach. Um, there has been questions. 
suggestions that that is racially motivated. I can't speak to that in any way, shape, or form, but that is one of the strategic growth areas, and some of the stuff that's going on with the outlet mall is kind of factored in there um, because this will affect the strategic growth plan and all the stuff that the city has said they want to do in the Burton Station area, and I don't know. I think it comes back to money, though. I, I think the city doesn't. Virginia Beach doesn't get any benefit. They just get traffic. So why put in money for retention ponds and roads when we're not going to get a cut of the pie? That's, that's really what's going on in this little spat. They'll work it out eventually. Somebody will get some money. Not Lake Wright Golf Course. The vast majority of that is Norfolk. There's a little slice that is Virginia Beach, and originally they were going to put a retention pond <laughs> on the Virginia Beach side, and Virginia Beach said no. So then, so then, this is interesting, I love politics. So then, Norfolk had a city council meeting where the developer stood up and said, an unnamed city is not playing nice. <laughs> unnamed city, that's quoted right there. The rest of it I just said, okay? So the unnamed city is not playing nice, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to shift the entire development west just a little bit to get completely out of Virginia Beach. That way, only thing we need from them is some road changes, and we don't need to go to city council for any approval. They thought they were going to work with the system, right? Because then they just had to go to the planning department, get the planning department to do some stuff, and voila, city council was cut out of the loop. So at the last Virginia Beach City Council meeting, which was, I think, this past Tuesday, the city council passed a resolution that any changes made to anything within the vicinity of Northampton Boulevard has to come to them for approval. In your face, Norfolk, that's what they said to them, and now it's right back to where it was at the beginning, so now the council has, has got them. <laughs> Um, empty sports complex. I, I'm not, I don't know where that is. Baker Road, okay. I, I don't know. I, it's, Burton Station is north of Northampton Boulevard, west of Diamond Springs. That is considered Burton Station. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, the strategic growth area. You should go on and look at those. So all of you who live in Town Center, you, you should see this, like what they're wanting to do, because there's a lot of stuff going on there that is very interesting and will have a big impact, even on how we think about reaching that area in the future. Like, the Walmart that's going in, yeah, everybody's excited about this Walmart. Yay. Um, all of that stuff is part of the strategic growth area, and so it's very, very interesting. Last of the uh, areas I had a question, Red Mill Strawbridge. I don't know the answer to that one either. I don't think they actually have a historical reason for their names. I think they, here's why. I have some cool pictures. So when we were buying this building, uh, we had to have an environmental impact study done. Thankfully, we got out of that because Mr. Kroll, who owned it prior to us, had done the same study, and we got to just use his. So we were given a copy of the environmental impact study, and in that study, which was mostly worthless nonsense, in my opinion, there were a series of aerial photographs of this part of Virginia Beach dating back to the 1930s. And in fact, here's the first one right here. And I, don't, I meant to grab, grab something I could point with here. Hey, Matt Shellhart, come up here so I can use your head. Uh... Can you see up in the corner? Sorry. It doesn't work on this, though. See, you can't see anything. Yeah, you see it here, but you don't see it there. Top right corner, the word secret. This is a top secret photo from 1937. 
That's when this aerial photograph was taken. And so that red arrow is pointing to where you're sitting right now. Notice what's around us. Nothing. Nothing. This area right here, this little corner of woods, that is St. John's Catholic Church, which means my house is like right there, right above that pig farm. Nothing. Uh, we move on now to another year, and I'm going to let you try to guess the year. What year? <laughs> so what year have I advanced to now? 19 what? 1960, further, 1974, there is still nothing here around us. It is farm and wood. So this uh, loop, you see this kind of arch right here? That is Sandbridge Road, Princess Anne Road. This little uh, corner right here, that is St. John's Baptist, or excuse me, St. John's Catholic. My house is just north of that in that field right there. So for those of you who know where I live, that gives you some frame of reference for looking. Sandbridge Road continues on out. There's nothing around. We're going to advance to 1981. There's nothing here. In 1981, this is empty farmland and woods in when we, many of us were children. It is not until the next slide, 1994, 13 years past, now, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Now you can see, if you just look just north of the, the arrow, you can see the outline of, of Strawbridge Elementary. You can see the rec center building. You can see the farm fresh at the very top up there. Up until this photo in 94, London Bridge Road did not exist. So when you drive down London Bridge, it was not there in the 1981 photo or anything prior. <laughs> uh, there was no General Booth Boulevard on any of those prior photos. Now you can see it on the photos here. Uh, my house is now in view. So my house is like right over here somewhere. This is Red Mill Commons, this field. You see there in the corner, the target is like right here. That's 1994. So when I said that there's like no real historical significance to the names Red Mill and Strawbridge, this is kind of why, because there was nothing here, nothing at all. It was just farmland and nothing. Yes, Seth. Oh, right there? I do not. It's probably someone's farmhouse, and I think it's gone. The only thing you can see here, uh, you can begin to see it. See these three little circles in the corner? Those are baseball fields of what I believe is Princess Anne Elementary, what is today Princess Anne Elementary School, which Princess Anne Elementary is old. It's, Nathaniel has his football practice there, so we're, we're there every week, and I mean, that building needs to get torn down. But you see it there. That photo is 1974, I think. No, I'm sorry, that was, yeah, that was 74. So that ball field down there is in 74. You see it again in the corner in 81. So that school has been there for some length of time. But that was really about it. You can actually see Courthouse Estates coming in and with some of those photos. They're kind of neat looking back to the 30s, and there's like every decade there's a photo. I just didn't put them all up here because there would have been a lot of photos of nothing. Um, so I didn't do it. Now, a few last thoughts, and then um, I'll let you ask any questions. I've tried to give you just some snippets of the past that affect us today. 
so that as you are living here in Virginia Beach, you have a little better understanding of why it is like it is. You may still get frustrated by traffic. You may still be frustrated by cookie-cutter neighborhoods everywhere and strip malls, but at least you'll understand why they're there now better than you perhaps did before. Um, I would encourage you, though, to not just think to the past, but as residents of this town, and I'd like to do something similar to this for Chesapeake and Norfolk in the future, uh, for those of you who live out there, but uh, for those of you who are Virginia Beach residents, I really want to encourage you to be thinking to the future as well, because there's a few topics that are like huge, huge right now. For example, the arena project. How many of you are even keeping up with all the discussion going on about the arena? It's, I mean, this has big implications for our area. Uh, light rail. <laughs> All the discussions that have gone on about light rail and bringing it to Virginia Beach and how far is it going to go and what path is it going to take? Is it going to go through Hilltop? Are they going to have to take out all the uh, service roads? Please pray that they do. Um, all of that stuff is going to have a major impact on how we live here in Virginia Beach. And a lot of us who maybe don't live up in that area but still uh, travel up there and people we are neighbors with and work with are in those areas, they're going to talk about it. We need to know the baseball stadium. Did you even know a baseball stadium's coming over to the Sportsplex? We're going to get a minor league team of some sort and a whole bunch of baseball fields to host uh, athletic tournaments, and, and that's all going to go in. Uh, all the stuff continuing to go on at Town Center, the expansion of Norfolk Airport to give us more options for international flights. I mean, these are some big, big projects that I know uh, you may not really be thrilled about trying to keep up with some of those things, but... If you're going to be a part of this city, you're going to be a part of this community, you should. I'm not saying you've got to be an expert and read about it all day long, but you should at least have some clue of what's going on. You live here. It affects you, so you should know about it. So, so how can you get a little more plugged into this city that we live in? Well, I put down a number of, of just suggestions for you, and then I'll be done. Number one, if you have a civic league, join it. What a simple, simple thing that we as believers can do to be directly involved in our most immediate community. So if you've got a civic league, a neighborhood association, why don't you go to the meetings? You should be the biggest lover of your neighborhood that exists. You should be the person who is out there saying, yes, let's, what do we got to do? What do we got to make happen? Let's get it done. Let's clean it up. Let's, let's improve it. You're bringing the kingdom of God to your neighborhood in a very tangible way. Okay, Being involved with unbelievers who are... Believe me, you show up at a civic league and you say, I'll help. They'll say, oh, yeah, you will. <laughs> They'll give you a whole list of things to do. You'll be in, you'll be the president, like in a minute. Um, okay, you're right. I'm sure they won't have much for you to do at all, so don't worry about it. Just go. Uh, I, we don't have a civic league, but I just saw something, and I'm going to mention this in a moment, that there's some talk about restarting one, and I hope they do, because I would love to be a part of that. Um, if you have that opportunity now, Take it. Number two, you need to get an app. I'd like for every person in Cornerstone to have this app. It's called Nextdoor. Have you heard of this app? Dave Doucette was the first person to put me on it. It's a kind of, a, I guess, a social network. I'm not much into social networking, but I have this one app now that ties you into people within your own neighborhood and region and community, and it, it opens up for all kinds of interesting discussions, things that are going on. I have learned so much about what's happening in my neighborhood from being on this app. Danny. Okay, do that too then. But the app is cool. It's called Nextdoor. And you can sign up for your neighborhood and get daily, weekly email updates about things going on right next to you. So for us, for example, here at the corner of General Booth and Nemo, that old house that's from 
1820-something. It's called the Hickman House because the Hickman family currently owns it. It was formerly known as Brown's Tavern. It was a, uh, a little hotel of sorts from back in the 1800s where travelers coming through South Frenchestown County would stop and spend the night. Um, the Hickman family bought it in the 1950s, did some renovations to it, but this, the Virginia Historical Society has for some reason never acted on their application for historical status. So a developer named Michael Siphon came in and offered them, I don't want to even know how much money, for five acres of land at the corner of General Booth and Nemo that they probably bought in the 50s when it was like a dollar an acre, right? <laughs> so just think about that and get sick. So, so they're wanting to sell the Siphon. The people on next door all of a sudden are all up in arms. I'm reading like all these comments. How dare they want to sell this house and how dare they want to develop that corner? And uh, the Hickman family gets on and is like, yeah, well, guess what? If I don't sell it, I'm going to tear it down. Okay. <laughs> it was really interesting watching how this was playing out, both in city council and here in the little app, as I was listening to my neighbors basically have a conversation about development here in our own corner of Hampton Roads. And so you'll find those kinds of conversations and a lot of other stupid ones, too, about, like, anybody seen my cat? And <laughs> anybody recommend a good pool guy? Uh, yeah, the cat's really tasty. <laughs> Some good cats. Uh, I, I just think, I, I mean, again, it just keeps you up to date of what's happening in your neighborhood. So get the app. It's called Nextdoor, or go on the website and call Nextdoor and sign up so you can get some information there. Uh, number three, here's the geek one. Go to a city council meeting. Like, have you ever been? It's actually kind of cool. I like. I liked it. At the time we, I only even been once or twice. Um, it's just interesting to watch how they work. They listen to the things they're talking about. They have a, a for Virginia Beach, there's like a pre-meeting you can go to as well and listen in on. They also have a closed-door meeting that you obviously can't go to. But um, go and just see what's going on. Do you even know who your council person is? Could you name them? Mine is Barbara Henley. I know that. Henley, okay. power brokers in the South here. We, we, they, I wrote her an email one time and she didn't reply to me and I've never liked her since. So, uh, I'd like to say that's a joke, but um, you should at least know who the city council person is who represents you, so as your, things are going on, you're aware, just go. It's a date night, right? Go get some dinner, go to the city council meeting, try not to fall asleep. Just be aware, okay, of what's going on around you. Hey, here's a, here's a better one. Watch the local news. How many of you are like, regular watchers of local news. Like you watch Wavy or WVEC or TKR, whatever they are. Wavy is the best. Because Don Slater is like the best weather guy ever. And Andy Fox is so funny. So like these are the best people. Look, no, I'm not kidding. I love Wavy. I really do love Wavy. Nathaniel, we went on a tour of Wavy one time, okay, on our staycation. So uh, <laughs> I've never shared this story. I don't think publicly. So we go into... Uh, we're in the, the wavy studio. I had set up the tour. We're waiting, and Nathaniel had to go to the bathroom, so he had brought his little camera with him to take pictures. This is uh, four or five years ago now. So he goes to the bathroom. He's gone for a few minutes. He comes out, and he's all, like, real happy. And then out the door behind him is Jeremy Wheeler, the other weather guy there at Wavy. And he looks at us, and he's like, hi. And we're like, oh, hi. He's like, I've never been asked for a picture in the bathroom before. <laughs> He comes out of the stall, and Nathaniel sees him and knows it's Jeremy Wheeler, and he's like, oh, can I get your picture? So Jeremy poses in the bathroom. 
it was an awesome tour. It was it was an awesome tour. We had a lot of fun. Jeremy Wheeler actually was really really nice. Uh, we got to talk to him for a little bit. A few other people as well. But uh, man, watch the local news. How are you going to keep up with what's going on around us if you don't watch the local news? Like, or read the pilot. If you don't like the, the television, then read the pilot. I, I subscribe just to a blog feed for the Virginia pilot. I get a lot of the paper for free. And all I do is I just skim it. I just scan real quick every morning. I'm just skimming news headlines. I read the things that are going on. But there's all kinds of stuff, both of events that are happening locally. They talk about things of the past. They give you just an, a feel for what is happening today here around us. And I'm telling you, I learn a lot just from skimming the paper every morning, just in that blog feed. I don't actually sit down with the newspaper. I, I just skim the, the, the blog feed. And that is super helpful in keeping up with what's going on. Um, this one will be more applicable to some than others, but if you can, try to meet with some of the movers and shakers in your area or in the city at large if you have that availability. Like, there are people in your community who get stuff done. Like, they're known, okay? People know them. They're business owners, a lot of them. Uh, they have a little bit of influence. If you have any opportunity to meet with any of these people, just, just to get to know their faces, just do so. There's interest uh, there. Like, for example, I haven't met this guy yet, but you know... Um, Jeff Craddock from Greenbrier and Hilltop Pond, he regularly is at Primo Pizza over here in Red Mill. Like, I've, I've probably seen him there a dozen times, maybe not that many, maybe eight times, normally at the bar, normally hobnobbing and talking to other people. I don't know who the other people are, but I'm assuming they're not just friends. I'm, I'm getting the feel, the more I go over there, that business is transacting <laughs> there at the bar. It's an interesting environment to sit and watch. Uh, there are people all around us and there's places around us where you can meet some of the folks who are, have some influence in our communities. And so if you can get a chance to meet them and talk with them, do so just to, just to do it. Um, here's one that I think is, I, I did not do the entire time I was here for seminary because I was transient and I wasn't going to commit myself to anything. And so I missed out on even understanding the city I lived in. Uh, spend a day just driving around. Like I didn't even know like, where Hilltop was when I was in seminary. I think we went there once. I remember accidentally finding the Red Mill Walmart and being like, what in the world is out here? You know, Jamie and I were completely lost when we found it. Had no clue we'd live across the street from it years later. You, you should just take a day, pull out you know, Google Maps, and just say, I have never really explored Great Neck. I'm just going to drive around Great Neck just to see what's there. Go up and down all the main roads, see what kind of homes are there, what kind of businesses are there, stop in at Highway 55 and get the best burger that's ever existed right there on Great Neck Road. Just, just drive, go down to Pungo, go all the way down to Knott's Island, go back through Blackwater, go over the Pungo Ferry Bridge. Mr. Uh, Whitehurst, actually, he's got a cool picture here of the original Pungo. He remembers when there was actually a ferry. Here, pass that around. That's the original Pungo Ferry Bridge. This was on the day it was being torn down. He got, uh, someone went out there and took a photograph of it just so they could have a record of what it originally looked like, the original Pungo Ferry Bridge. Go all back through Blackwater. There's nothing back there. Just go drive and see what's around. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to have a real good sense of what is in this place we call home. Um, read a book on local history. I, I have purchased this one. This is a kind of a little bit bigger one. It's got a lot of pictures, though, so it's cool. Princess Anne County in Virginia Beach. It's written by a guy named Dr. Steve Mansfield, who is a professor at Virginia Wesleyan University. So he's a local guy who's writing about local history. This is a fascinating book. 
a lot of stories, a lot of interesting points, and he just develops things into a lot more detail than I have, obviously, tonight. Uh, the City of Virginia Beach has an even much smaller book than this called The Beach that they wrote back, I think, in late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, it's a thin little book, about the size of that one that's getting passed around right now. We'll give you a quick overview of Virginia Beach. I mean, you'll learn a ton just reading that little book, and it's really, really interesting. They did a very good job writing it. Just pick up a book and read it. Pick up one of Mr. Whitehurst's books and just read it. It's just interesting reading these stories of the past. Um, Join a political party if you want to to get involved. Avoid change. Stop and buy local in your neighborhoods if you can. So tomorrow morning, our life group, the guys in our community group, we're going to go to uh, Eddie's Cafe over here in Red Mill. And Soy's going to be there. And she's going to bring Danny uh, an orange juice and the rest of us coffee without us asking. Because we've been there enough that she knows what Danny wants and what I want and what Brett wants and what, you know, Dave wants. That... I'm not putting us up as like a great example because that's as far as we've gotten that she knows our drink choices at this point. <laughs> but we were meeting at Panera and nobody cared. And now we're at Eddie's and Soy knows us and is just trying to learn our names too so she can call us by name. So to the extent that you can stay, uh, as Jeannie likes to use the word, in her bubble, stay in your bubble, right? She, 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 I love when she talks about this because she's got like her imaginary bubble, and she does go outside of it to shop, but if she doesn't need to, she doesn't. She just stays within the bubble. And that way, she, she's, she knows some of the cash, uh, cashiers at FarmFresh here by name now. She's been shopping with them for so long, she'll stop and talk to them. She sees them in Target. They have conversations. I mean, that only happens if you are purposely staying in your area, shopping at the same places over and over again for the purpose of getting to know folks that do that. And is that my last one? That's my last one. Just a few thoughts on how we can become better parts of this city. Now, questions, thoughts, whatever. I got eight minutes before we got to be done. Anything. Portsmouth was, uh, like Norfolk, a booming economic hub. And you see that still on High Street, uh, London, all those streets down there. I mean, the old homes that are right there uh, along the waterfront, they're beautiful, beautiful homes. Uh, I think that as, as development moved east, Virginia, so, so this was um, 1960 census. The city of Virginia Beach, I said, had, or what we would consider today, the city of Virginia Beach had 90,000 residents. The city of Norfolk in 1960 had 330,000 at that time. It was the number one most populous place in the state of Virginia. City, county, like, cause, so the cities are all listed, counties are all listed, Norfolk was tops. After the merger, and after the military came, that development began to move east. So Norfolk kept a good bit. I think Portsmouth lost, lost the most. Virginia Beach gained the most. So today, Virginia Beach is the most populous city, region, within all the state of Virginia. Um, I think you see the effects of that in Portsmouth today all that movement east, and now putting tolls on the tunnels. I mean, you just think about that. I, I, Jamie has asked a question, because we, we'll sit down and talk about this stuff sometimes, because she's kind of geeky like me, and she, she's like, are they trying to kill Portsmouth? Like, are they really trying to end it? And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Now they want to put a, a casino there. <laughs> that will always make, that, casinos always make everything better. Uh, I don't know what the... the plans are for Portsmouth in the long run, but I think they desperately need some help. Desperately need some help out there. They got a good flea market, that they do. That they do. 
Other questions or thoughts? So the settlers, early settlers, in writing about this area, the dunes were as tall as mountains, like <laughs> hills. I mean, think if you've ever been down to the Outer Banks and been to uh, um, uh, Jockey's Ridge, imagine Jockey's Ridge from the Outer Banks all the way up to Virginia Beach. I mean, the dunes were huge through the area uh, when this place was first settled. And the hardwood forest began right after the dunes, which again, it's hard. I try to drive around and just imagine nothing but woods, and I can't picture it at all. But, but there was a, a, someone said, I forgot who, where I read this, that a squirrel could run from the Atlantic to the Pacific and never touch the ground. Just the trees were that thick at the time. So must have been because when the, the first settlers landed at uh, First Landing State Park, which the point of their landing is probably now about 40 or 50 yards out into the water at this point, but uh, they could not see the Indians who were coming to attack them from the beach. So as they're attacked, and, and uh, that's part of why they leave the beach, total sneak attack. Like, you think of it today, if you've been out to that point, I mean, you could see anybody coming forever, right? Because you got the lighthouses there and the base, and it's just weird to imagine that area totally undeveloped and wild. Yes, all the cypress swamps in there, yeah, it's beautiful. Just imagining what it would have been like in the mosquitoes, oh my goodness. I always think of that when I think of the settlers, too, like, I'm glad I didn't live back then. Jesus knew I couldn't manage it. I needed air conditioning. What's that? I love camping. Camping's great. Probably what Jim Gaffigan says when he sees people with RVs. He's like, well, that's what I forgot in my house. Yes, George? That's a good point. I'd love to see us take this back to our community groups and say, so how does that work? Go get together one night and geek out together. What is your area like? This, this is why, also, I'll just say this and then I'm done. This is no more questions after this. Um, so we have defined Hampton Roads in our talk about vision as an area of pockets, right? It doesn't have a regional identity because it doesn't. There is no Virginia Beach identity. Virginia Beach was never designed to have an identity. It was designed to stop Norfolk from encroaching. There's no real greater value or purpose to this region than to stop Norfolk. Um, so that's our, that's our identity. We hate Norfolk, right? No, I don't know. So, so but you really do have to think about the pockets. This pocket over here is different than the town center pocket. You guys in town center, you, you guys have different issues affecting you, different history up there, different people, kinds of people, different neighborhoods than what we have down here. All of you out in Chesapeake, a completely different ball game. All of you in Norfolk, different ball game. We need to be thinking about it and become good citizens of this, this city that got it, this region God has put us in. All right? Helpful? Yeah, no? Okay. Thank you for coming. Won't keep you because we got to go get some kids. Uh, so you're dismissed.